Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Gray Rock Realty Podcast. This episode um, is me, Ryan Jenkins, my business partner, Scott Lowe, just sitting down, kind of um, debriefing. This, there's going to be stories about offers we've made. Uh, we're going to talk about the market and how it's gone way up and way down. And it's just been a little bit all over the place. So this is fall 2023 um, to give you some context. And the market's made a big swing up and has corrected significantly. So that's what we're going to talk about. Anecdotes, uh, stories, a lot of stuff like that. So um, if you want to just kind of hear two realtors just sort of debrief on the, the real estate market in Northern Colorado, this is an episode like that. Hope you enjoy. If you want to check us out on the web, grayrockrealty.com. Thanks so much for listening. <clears throat> and we're live. That is wonderful. We made it. <laughs> we um, are not audiovisual. Yeah, yeah. Visio am I, am I in people. The, oh, yeah. I'm in, in the screen nicely. You're locked and loaded. Do I need you to lower my seat or anything like that? I think no. you're good. We're good. Okay. Great. Gray Rock Realty Podcast. Mm. Fall 2023. It's uh, we got a lot to talk about this year. It's been a while since we really. I mean, we do a lot of content, but we we don't sit down and do a whole podcast. I guess maybe we are going to do a podcast. We'll see. Yeah, I think we are. I think it's happening. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, like when business gets really busy, it's hard to sit down and just stop. Um, so it it's is. been a very busy. So I'd say like. April through now, and you know, there's still buyers, there's still people looking, but it's definitely cooled down a little bit at this point, probably for a lot of reasons. So, anyway, yeah, volume is definitely down. Um, prices are about two percent higher than they were this time last year, depending on the market. Loveland actually has gotten hit a little harder um, than than Fort Collins. Fort Collins. Uh, if you watch any of our Instagram content, we've talked a lot about how the market went way up in the first six months of 2023. Not really for any reason that we could um, put our finger on. I mean, interest rates were, mm -hmm. you know, at, at seven, between seven and seven and a half for most of that time, maybe high sixes, but they were, they were really high. And uh, like Loveland and Windsor and Wellington and Longmont were all just kind of ticking along and the prices were pretty much unchanged and Fort Collins was like this. Like a it spike. went up $70,000. Mm -hmm. And and then all of a sudden um in August of this year in one month it lost about this about that. the entirety of the gains that it had made which is very bizarre for a real estate market. I mean, it's almost, you know, functioning like a stock market, but um, at the end of the day, um, you know, we're basically back at 2%. So if you would have asked me mm -hmm. last month, what are medium prices like in Fort Collins? I would have said, well, they're about 10% higher than they were last year. And now they're about 2% higher. Um, so they went from 690 to 600, and then in September they bounced back up to 608. Yeah. Which, you know, as we've been talking after the pandemic and the massive jump, you know, what we even talked about last year is we probably the best prediction is to start saying that we're going to start seeing normal, you know, growth that two to four percent. Um, so in the end, yeah, the, it spiked and then it came back down to like what would be normal growth, right? I mean, we shouldn't be shocked by that. Or maybe we're shocked by the massive spike, but um, I think overall, it's still a growth path. So. And I'm not sure the market felt really materially different, you know, between that big peak and valley. I mean, in Fort Collins, you know, any given month, you're selling about 150 to 200 homes so you can imagine there can be some data that you know if you sell if like a 10 million dollar house sells mm -hmm. obviously that can throw the median price off significantly um and it's not easy for us to like comb through all that unless we're manually pulling listings the graph that we see um doesn't show you know the distribution of the different um, price points but um 
I, I do think that September, you know, is always a slow time of year. People ask me, what's the best time to buy? I would say, you know, fall. Like once kids have gone back to school, mm-hmm. August, kind of slow. September, really slow. Mm-hmm. October, slow. Yeah, it definitely tails off. Yeah, those are great times to pick up deals. And, and I think... You know, a lot of our clients, that's what they've been looking for. We had an investor that came to us earlier this year and she was like, well, I've got cash. I'm ready to, you know, Mm -hmm. pick up a deal. And we said, well, you know, the market's still pretty hot. We told her about the appreciation that we Mm -hmm. had just experienced. And she actually ended up not buying. We we offered on a couple things, but just nothing felt right to Mm -hmm. her. And she kind of, they kind of sat on the sidelines and actually she came back in the market and, you know, in the, in the last couple months and we were able to say, Hey, all the, that big appreciation now it's kind of gone back down to the, the flat line. And, uh, she was really excited about that. Ended up picking up a property that, uh, was a pretty good deal. So a really good deal. Yeah. Um, that one actually was a bidding war, right? <laughs> they, but it was, it also felt like it was priced a little low it was so really low. it was you know pricing is still really crazy but that one was a bidding war and um she wanted um being a cash buyer and being willing to get into the game and uh you know not sit on the sidelines or you know be indecisive um she was very decisive and um, made a compelling offer and we actually got beat on price so there were four right. offers uh they had two other offers that were higher than ours right. with their price and you know they liked the terms of our offer better and actually one of those was cash so it wasn't like we were the only cash offer right. so the terms really do matter you know and especially that was an estate situation so you know you, you had um, this guy's father had passed away and mm-hmm. he was dealing with his dad's estate and for whatever reason it maybe it's because there's multiple decision makers but in those situations especially sellers always want certainty but in an estate situation they really particularly want certainty right. so if you can say you know we don't have a financing contingency we have an inspection contingency, but we're not going to ask for any repairs. Right. Um, and you know what, what was interesting is, yes, they took it. Um, there, Yeah, there was another offer, but they still had to be very strong and decisive and uh, quick close and things like that. But even with waiving your right to ask for things, um, there are circumstances where that can change. And the sellers were very... Um, uh, they really wanted to make sure this deal worked out and about a week into it, um, I guess there was some soft siding and, um, they reached out to us. I think they were power washing it and it broke off some of the siding and they were willing to, they came to us and said, or came to the buyer and said, Hey, we're willing to fix that. And, um, so <laughs> Even at the end of that day, uh, they did get some concessions um, to get that taken care of, which was pretty cool. But they were they were very happy about having a cash offer, and they did love the terms, and they really didn't want to go back on the market and try to um, fight for something like that again. So, um, yeah, well, I mean we basically had waived inspection and they basically said, we're going to do this repair, do it anyway. even though you waived inspection. Right. So that was cool. You know, you'll, you'll have some things like that. You know, people, people generally want to do the right thing. And, but you know, those, that seller left money on the table. Like he had a, an offer, um, that was a few thousand dollars higher than, mm-hmm. than ours. And he just wanted the certainty of somebody that was saying, I'm not going to nickel and dime you on inspection. So yeah, that's good. we're really, you know, not just right now, but, uh, you know, in any market, the story that is behind an offer really makes a big difference. And we're, we're finding that our buyers that want deals, of course, every buyer wants a deal, but Mm -hmm. some buyers I think are in particular saying, I want to start shopping, but I'm looking for a deal. Mm -hmm. The market's uncertain. Interest rates are really high. So I need to make sure that I can get 
some money off the price. Mm -hmm. And just hearing that narrative from buyers, we can convey that to a seller, right? Right. So the, you find deals when properties are sitting on the market, right? The property we just talked about, multiple offer situation, first three days, like that's not a deal. Yeah. It was a deal just because it was priced really low to begin with. <clears throat> But another place to find deals is when stuff is priced really right. high and you start to see one month, two months, right. four months on the market. All of a sudden, yeah, you're all of a sudden, yeah. And you're 120 days in and you're going, you're watching price drops and those are a great opportunity um, for buyers to even, I mean, our, our, one of our clients just got under contract on one that had been sitting about 101 days and they had done at least four price drops, three maybe, um, and they still came in with a lower offer than where they were at and the, where the sellers were at. And um, they were able to get it under contract. And a lot of that was their, they were willing to walk away from their offer um, and not budge, you know. Yes. Um, I think, a, you know, the big thing for that one that I saw was, they had already dropped the price, you know, off of where they started in their listing. They had come down significantly. And then we were trying to knock like another big chunk off that. Oh, about 30. And so they're saying, there's no way this is below market value. And mm -hmm. that was pretty clear. You know, we're all looking at the same comparable right. sales. It's obvious that we're trying to get a, this house below market. So what we said is, look, we realize this is below market. It's well below what you want, but for one, we're a cash buyer. We're closing in two weeks. Uh, it was like 10, or ten days. It was ten days. Two, the market's uncertain. Interest rates are really high. Inflation seems to be super sticky. If interest rates stay high, buyers are worried that prices are going to come down, and so they don't have to buy right mm -hmm. now. You know, they're in another. They live in Fort Collins. Their current place is a little bit small, but they got to know if they're going to buy right now that they're building in potential depreciation that is down the road. Right. Like they want to build that in right now because and, you know, we can talk about what happened mm -hmm. in Fort Collins prices over the, the last month. Mm -hmm. So you start to paint that picture for the seller and saying, these are all the things we're going through our mind. Yeah. And we're going to walk away. We are price sensitive on this house. So if you don't take this offer, we are gone. This is not like a, we have to have this house mm -hmm. kind of a situation. You either take this offer or we, you have nothing. Right. And when somebody has been sitting on the market for a few months, they may or may not have had an offer. A lot of times they haven't because properties are priced too high. They just don't get offers. Mm -hmm. And that can feel like a very critical decision for them. And while they had told us this is our best and final offer, and we said, no, we still got another 20000 off of what they said was their best and final offer. Yeah. Because when you tell somebody this is it, like we're going to be gone. Right. We're going to keep shopping. The other thing we said was there's a couple boxes on this property that aren't checked for us. You know, we would like to have a better outdoor living situation. And it's like you're not trying to insult people, but, you know. You are letting them know that we can keep shopping. Yeah. And we're not um, worried about that. Yeah. And, you know, it, the ball, you know, honestly, there was no strong arming. It was just stating what they, where they were at on this uh, offer and were unwilling to budge from it. And um, like you said, there wasn't this urgency for them. And so I think as a buyer, if you are in a place that you can be patient and you know what you want and you know the neighborhood or the area if you know those things um and you find one and you bring in a lowball offer be willing to be patient and hang in there yeah you got to be willing to walk walk away, walk away. and there's going to be properties that maybe you aren't willing to walk to walk away from them right and so if that's the case you know, we have to approach things differently. You know, we might bluff a little bit and say that we are, but um, a lot of times, like, our, you have to talk to your buyers and say, look, how do you want to play this? Right. Like, there's a number of different stories that we can tell to present this offer. Right. And that's really what you have to do. You know, I think sometimes people just, like, write an offer and send it over and say, here, here's our offer. Right. But it's like, no, you got to tell them what's going through the buyer's mind, mm -hmm. justify the offer, 
And sometimes you can't justify the offer with comparables, so you gotta just say, "This is we're it. trying to build in depreciation, depreciation on this. which was really um, important, and especially in this market. So, especially, yeah. Um, yeah and I, you know, you're looking at a lot of people's payments now are four thousand dollars a month. I mean, I remember when like you know, $3,000 a month was like, oh my gosh, if I had a client that, that was signing up for a $3,000 a month payment, you were like, whoo. Mm. And now it's like 4,000, 5,000. Mm-hmm. Um, these are payments we see pretty consistently and, and it's really painful, but for the buyers that are in the market right mm-hmm. now, and you know, there's not a ton of them, but there's, there's enough of them. I and mean, we've been surprisingly busy over the last few months even as rates are pushing towards eight, you know, they've pulled back quite a bit. They're at 7.4. Um, today we're at what? October 12th. 12th. Yeah. But you start talking buyers through the dynamics of the market right now. And you say, look, I know that this payment is, you know, $2,000 higher than what you might've gotten, you know, last year. And that is awful. And I'm sorry. But they really need this house for whatever reason. They're upsizing a lot of times, um, or they're turning the previous property into a rental. Mm. And so they're saying, you know, we're ready to do this. We're kind of ready to bite the bullet, and hopefully, you know, rates come down. But you got to tell people, like, I I think it's going to take longer than people Mm -hmm. expect for rates to come down. But one thing to think about is that. Okay, so let's say your payment is, let's say you have a $500,000 mortgage, mm-hmm. okay, and inter- and the interest rate is 2% higher than your ideal, like hopefully it gets, you know, it's it's 7.5 right now, hopefully it's 5.5 in the future, right? right? So For a refund. 2% higher on your $500,000 mortgage, that's $10,000 per year, you know, let's just say it's about 1000 bucks a month mm-hmm. in additional interest that you're paying, and that hurts, but let's also look at it a different way and say, what if the market was ripping hot, right? And you fell in love with this house and we had to say, look, we think in order to get this house, you're gonna have to pay $40,000 over list price for this house, mm-hmm. right? That's a really uncomfortable situation too. And if rates were down in the fours, that might be the case again. So my point is that appreciation I think is more expensive than interest, right? Because the interest, okay, you're paying another $10,000 per year for that house, then Mm. that's nothing to scoff at. But what if just boom, you have to pay $40,000 over market for this house right away? Um, That gets pretty spendy. And so, you know, hopefully, um, you know, if you're paying 10,000, more hopefully in the next four years you'd be able to refi down i think that's probably the time horizon that i would tell people to sort of be guessing about is like hopefully in the next three to four years like rates come down who knows i give i've completely given up trying to guess interest rates yeah no but i don't think it's going to be a year or two years you know i think for a while we thought oh they're spiking and maybe they'll just come right back down but i mean we were thinking at the beginning of the year that we'd probably see some softening on the like rates pulling back by the fourth quarter of this year, maybe first quarter of next year. And you know, that just, uh, it's like no more, no more predicting, um, <laughs> no more, predicting. no more predicting. Anybody so. that's telling you, here's what interest rates are going to be next year. You're, just like out the, in one ear, out the other. Just don't even just nobody ignore knows. it. Yeah, exactly. Cause nobody does know. I mean, with inflation the way it is, I mean, there's going to, it's a long game on trying to get that adjusted. And so we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> you make a valid point. Do you want to pay for the house? You want to pay more for the house in a hot market by showing up with more cash um, or, um, you know, finding one now and just, you know, kind of taking on that interest rate and, uh, you know, just be patient to see rates possibly soften. So, yeah. And you, you know, your payment can only go down, right? It can't go up. And that's an interesting thing that I think a lot of people don't know is that the 30 year fixed mortgage rate Mm. is an American invention that doesn't exist in other countries. Um, and, and I, you know, if you go to Canada and you get a mortgage, it's going to adjust 
you know, mm-hmm. at some point it might be fixed for a certain period of time, right. but and our commercial real estate is like that here. You know, you can get a, a, a rate that's fixed for five years, but after that it adjusts with the market. And so a lot of people, you know, have to refi and they're at the mercy of the market or the rate just automatically adjusts. Right. Our 30 years, the fact that you can buy a house and lock in an interest rate and then refinance it lower, obviously you're never going to refinance it higher unless you're pulling cash out. You can, so basically you're saying, I get this payment and my payment can only go down. Right. Right. As long as I'm not pulling more money out, um, I can wait till eventually rates do drop. Hopefully we're not at, you know, seven and a half for the end, the rest of time. I, I, I think that's highly unlikely. So eventually that payment w- will come right. down, but it's not going to go up. That's the best deal there is. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, that, that's a, I think a government institute, that's something that Fannie and Freddie have sort of, um, you know, been able to package up those mortgages right. and, and figure out how to make that work. Um, I don't think that's a product that if it wasn't for the government, that pro- that's not an ideal product for investors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to lock in cheap money for, for that uh, long period of time. So it's a pretty cool thing um, that we have here in the U.S. No, that's good. That's really good. We're just going to kind of bounce around. This is sort of like a random, r- random thought show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is not going to be like a lot of like your typical podcast mm-hmm. narrative. So just sort of bear with us. Um, we got a, like a list of things we want to hit here. And yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, th- yeah. So just recently I realized that not all inspectors are that helpful. Oh um, yeah. That's a good one. Um, had an inspector, I had a seller that was, um, you know, we're under contract the buyer brings in their inspector, the inspector is doing his due diligence and decided to take the carbon monoxide gas sniffer reader and he shoved the sniffer into, (laughs) I mean, you've seen this thing, right? It's got the little, um, he shoves it into two places, one into the pipe stack um, on the water heater, like in there so help people understand like you have your water heater yeah and then and you, you got have a pipe. The, the exhaust vent yeah the exhaust vent where all the dangerous gases are all the carbon monoxide all the carbon and monoxide and goes up so he reads the room and there's no carbon monoxide but then he sticks the gas reader into there takes a picture that's the best part is he takes a picture and then he went to the roof and sticks it into the exhaust on the roof. And he, he calls me and he says, I'm so sorry. It looks like you have a gas leak. <laughs> so I've cut off all the gas in the house. Oh, I didn't know and that. Yeah. No, he, he like did all just shutoffs. And, um, or it was actually to the hot water heater. He just cut that one off because he goes, I, I don't smell it anywhere else. You know, and, but he was not picking up in the house. We'll get, so we call... Um, one of the local heating and air companies that actually installed it a year ago. And I said, well, here are the pictures from the inspection report. I, I may be crazy, but does this belong inside of the (laughs) pipe vents, you know? And they, the guy at the, you know, heating and air place just started dying laughing as look, I'm going to call my master, uh, you know, plumber and, they were all laughing because they were like, this is absolutely ridiculous. So not all inspectors, as, as hard as they work, um, they may not know where to put the, the gas sniffer, you know. So you yeah. just want to follow up. But um, it, it really, um, it, it can be a little frustrating sometimes when you see some of the reports. Yeah, I think so. that's a good thing to keep in mind when you're on the sell side is like, just because somebody presents an inspection mm-hmm. report with an issue doesn't mean it's an issue no there's so many times when we're like there's no hail damage on this roof right we just had it certified yeah we just had a roofer up there a couple of weeks ago yep and you know you might see some hail damage on one of the turtle vents but the shingles are great and when yeah. here's your roof certification so it's really it's great to be able to anticipate that stuff, not just take everything at face value just because an inspector says something. Yeah, and I and and on that kind of point, um, 
I think as sellers, uh, there's these anxiety moments through um, the escrow period, the time that you are under contract to closing. And two of the big ones is inspection. And if you have to have an appraisal, everybody's like, is it going to appraise? Is it not going to appraise? And, um, but that, that inspection and I think when you see a, a, a lot, the buyers are feeling more confident to ask for a lot of stuff. And then, and then that's good. That's, that's a great shift in the market. It was not uh, it, during the pandemic. It was not great when everybody just said, I'll take the house as is. I don't care, you know, so it's a great shift. But um, I think with sellers, one of the things that I've, I've told multiple sellers this year is, just take a deep breath. When we look at it, we're going to go through each item and we'll, 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 um, you know, verify it or not. We're going to do the due diligence on our side and being able to speak back like what, like when I handed this back, I said, uh, you're not supposed to stick a gas sniffer in there. That makes no sense, but we still got the heating and air company come out. They looked at it. They wrote a report, said everything was proper and that was really good. But with sellers, you know, that's an anxiety moment. Just remember you have about three options when you get that list of demands from the buyer. And that is, uh, do nothing, um, do some, (laughs) or do it all. And there's something about just knowing that you do have options. You just need to breathe. And, and, but I think some of the best and most important things is to be able to address each item in some way. Right. And I think for whatever reason, like you're saying, a lot of sellers just automatically say, Oh my gosh, this deal is dead. We're not doing, there's no way we can do all this stuff. Right. And there's this initial freak out and you say, no, the, uh, don't worry. We're yeah. not actually, we're doing hardly any of this stuff. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. th- maybe there's a couple items we're going to do, yeah. you know, we can pick and choose, but another option is to say, no, we're not doing literally like one of these items. We're not doing any of it. Yeah. And it may be a little bit of a gamble, but the vast majority of the time people are still going to buy the house, yeah. you know, when they've gotten this far course that's not always the case every once in a while there's big time stuff right but usually when there's big time stuff you know buyers a lot of times if it's like a foundation issue or there's like water leaks that are not addressed and there's mold in the attic whatever the case may be a lot of times buyers just walk away right the fact that they have given us a request for a number of different repairs means they're still in it yeah you know and yes Maybe there's some cases where if you said no to everything, they would walk away. But you'd be surprised how many times you can say, I appreciate that you guys want all this stuff done. Mm-hmm. I realize these are valid concerns, but we've come off the price a little bit. Um, we just came on the market. There's no way we're doing this right. stuff. And if you don't like it, like we understand. We're not, you know, no hard feelings. Right. But we, we can go back on the market. We're confident we can get it sold. We don't think these are that big of a deal. Right. And... Being able to tell people, like, we will part ways with you. We're fully, I think that's what so many folks are worried Mm -hmm. about doing is saying, we'll go back on the market. Right. Um, Is it just a complete, like, completely shifts the conversation once they know you're dangerous in that way. And at the same time with the buyer. Yeah. Right. The buyers can do the same thing. They can make their list and then just say, you know, because we've worked with a few buyers this year that have had a very big list or maybe a big, uh, you know, a, a price dollar sign on that list. And, um, you know, their willingness to say, hey, if I can't get this, I'm going to walk away. I think what it does is it just shows their seriousness that they're willing to do that. And that's, again, that's a part of that, the buy process or the sell process and being patient and knowing where you are on stuff. But, you know, like Ryan and I like to work with our buyers and our sellers, and we try to say what's reasonable, what's not reasonable on either side. And, you know, does it make sense? Um, And if it is something that, There could be something they could, you know, on the sell side, be able to do a seller credit or fix the thing. The items, that's one thing. If they're unwilling to do anything, we just got to be able to, you know, do that. And on the buyer buyer side, you know, 
someone looks at a house and they're like, man, all of the siding is soft, all of the, you know, and that's, that's a big important part of the investment of that house. And, um, you know, our duty as brokers, as agents in real estate is to uh, work with that buyer to make sure that we can get those items addressed in some way or another. Yeah. And to use the leverage that you have, the only leverage you have in a real estate deal mm. is your willingness to walk away. Yep. And so many times people are just trying to say, Hey, this is a really significant issue. We really want you to fix this. That doesn't mean like, they're like, I don't care, yep. you know, but as soon as you say, look, in no uncertain terms, I'm walking away. You can go back on the market and deal with this issue with the next buyer. Right. Um, I'm out. Like you either do this or I'm out. You know, I, d I don't think that's used enough because we see a lot of times like agents are worried about saying something like that. Right. It's like they're almost afraid that if they say that, then the deal will just magic, like it will just evaporate all of a sudden. Right. I mean, that doesn't mean it's you are going to walk away, but it just, you know, communicates that you might. Yes. And keep that in mind. And if you don't do this, that's what's going to happen. Um, so just use those points of leverage because it's all you have. You don't, you don't have anything else, right? Right. Nobody wants to sue. I mean, we've done thousands of transactions, knock on wood. We've never, we still never seen a lawsuit. People don't want to sue. Now we've seen a lot of threats of lawsuits, yeah. right? Um, I shouldn't say that we've seen a couple for non-disclosure things, Yes. but most of the time people don't want to enter the courtroom. It's the last thing they want to yeah. do. Right. And so that. just trying to, you know, get through a transaction with, okay, what, how can we make this work? If, if there's a, a disclosure issue or if there's an inspection issue, um, you know, uh, how can we talk to these people? And, you know, every once in a while we have to send a letter from an attorney, you know, and say, yep, we might enter the courtroom, right. but we don't want to. And you don't want to either. Right. Right. Which, you know, that kind of um, like brings me to this other point just about preparing your house to sell and um, what are the things that are important to do on your house to maybe get top dollar or maybe to address some of the stuff that might come up in an inspection. And um, just, just this summer, met with some clients. They had 20 plus years of deferred maintenance, 20 plus years roof was bad um the only thing they had new was ac and furnace um but you know they had just gotten a well and a water heater was about a year old and so but then i mean carpet destroyed flooring destroyed uh it was um just like dogs have been like <laughs> tearing it apart for years and um you know this lady's an awesome lady but she you know just it was a lot of deferred maintenance that was not her area of like expertise and so um they sat down with me and said what do we need to do and they said what if we just sell it as is and i said well if you do that you're probably going to leave a hundred thousand on the table and that's where everybody's mind goes is that there's too much stuff mm. let's just sell it as is let's call the yeah. you know, the investor that's going to pay bottom dollar, bottom dollar. And that's what I told him. I said, if you leave it, if you just do it at sell as, it's just going to be, you're going to pretty much leave out anybody that wants to buy it. That's like single family, um, that wants to live there, turnkey, ready to move in. It's only going to be investors. And that's not a real big, that's not a big, uh, you know, cross section of the, of the buyers out there. And I said, if you want to push it a little higher and they said, let's, they said, what do we need to do? And I gave them like three price points. Let's like, you go baller and do everything or we do. And they went middle of the ground and, um, they spent, um, 25,000 and we were able to get an extra hundred, probably a hundred plus. Um, so, you know, they invested, you know, the sell price probably been 390 to 400. They invested 25 and they got right at 500. And, um, it's because we, you know, work through it, but they redid the roof for nine grand. They repainted the house inside and out. That cost about 10. And then they did some lighting and carpet and it was right at around 26,000. And 
and then they already had the you know furnace ac they already had that so they were they were already going and the the beauty of it was they could i mean at the end of the day they were nervous the whole time but when they saw the return and that we addressed the right things did we redo the kitchen no we didn't uh, did it need to be redone yes it did <laughs> But if it did get redone, we would have probably pushed it up another 50 grand. Yeah, and you would have so, killed your margin. Yeah, and then we'd have killed, yeah, exactly. All of a sudden, it's like that, it made no sense. So they did big systems. It was clean. Also had them move everything out and staged it. And it was amazing. So, nice. um, but prepping your home, you know, there's just a lot. There's, if you're thinking, oh, next spring, uh, summer, I want to sell my home, you know, reach out to Ryan and I, because we can sit here and walk through a house and tell you what we think you should do or not do, um, based on hundreds of houses that we see every year, um, that make a difference, like the things that are fixed that make a difference versus what they don't. And I mean, you're the best part of that whole story. In my opinion is that you basically helped them do like you coordinated all the people. Yeah. You know, you're like, here's the guys you got to call, you know, brought them over to take a look. I mean, the, the, you know, the companies that we use, especially to do the staging and what we call a mop and shine, where like, we're, we're never going to ask you to like redo a kitchen, like you just said, but to have this company come in and knock out fixtures and do mm -hmm. paint, maybe do flooring, maybe not, depending on the situation. These are usually like ten thousand dollar or less, fifteen thousand dollars. Sometimes twenty. Yeah. Twenty five is probably like that's top. You know, end. on the high end yeah. of what people are typically coming out of pocket for, and and they don't have to do anything. Right. You know, it's it's really like a turnkey process where they just come in and do it. Right. So don't think that it's like all this brain damage of coordinating repairs. Right. Um, where do you want to go from here? Oh. There's so many good things. Um, ooh, how about... Um, oh, we've talked about that. That's good. Oh, um, oh, here's a good one. Here's a good one. <laughs> we ran into this like two weeks in a row. Um, when selling your home, resist the temptation to be at the house when the buyers are touring it. So, yes. and that goes, <laughs> that goes not just for the seller, um, but for the agent. So you agents out there, <laughs> this is for you. Okay. Please leave or at least go sit. If you have to be there, cause it's just some amazing $2.5 million property, go sit in your car. Um, and you can just watch the house from there, but let, buyers walk through i mean on um, multiple occasions I, I had buyers and you have two you could speak to they were just like i had two times where i had buyers walking through the house where the agent was there and then next thing we know we're in the master bathroom with the door closed i'm with the two buyers and they're trying to talk softly about how they actually feel about the house so they were hiding from <laughs> the agent but anyway yeah, what would yeah you, I mean, if you really, you if you that? like some agents are like, Hey, this is a million dollar house. I really, they feel the need to be there. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. Meet us outside. I, I still think it's not a good idea. I know. You know, I think you should be able to convey the finer points of the house. I don't think in these instances, any like earth shattering information is passed. Right. They're just like there. For no reason. Oh yeah. I mean, they, they just, I think they want their sellers to know that they are on top of it and showed up. But certainly do not go inside the house. I mean, the buy, you couldn't possibly make a buyer feel more uncomfortable in a property, especially if it's you and your assistant and you're just fought, and there's like this group of people following them around. Like if you oh. could try to figure out a way to feel them, to make them feel more uncomfortable, I don't think you could. Well, in this one agent, I, I was sitting there talking to the buyers and they said she was almost, uh, the buyer was almost in tears. And I said, what's going on? Because I was with the husband and the, and then I guess the other agent cornered her and just looked at her and said, well, you know, we're probably have another offer coming and, um, you might want to make your decision quickly. Well, guess what? That's, 
that's not cool at all. And then we ended up in the master bathroom and we were talking and I said, first of all, I think that's inappropriate. Second, um, you know, that's her way of like trying to motivate you. And, um, who knows if there's another buyer or not. Um, this is a tough market and, you know, it's a two and a half million dollar home. It's not like people are like fighting over 2.5 right now. Um, there are great buyers. There's a, it's a great point on, uh, with, uh, buyers out there, but they're not lined up eight in a row. Um, trying to buy it. So, yeah. but, but it, but it just, to that point, it's like that it creates a lot of anxiety. Um, and the last thing you want to do as a seller to, so for all of our sellers that are going to be doing this next year, the last thing you want to do is create any anxiety with a buyer. You want them to feel comfortable in the house. You want them to feel like they can live in the house, see the house, like they can envision themselves there. It's hard to envision when you're following them around. That's right. Um, you know, on another deal we had, we were negotiating an inspection and the buyer, we, we had already, I think we had gotten $3,000 off the price and the seller said, this is all we're willing to do. Mm -hmm. And the buyer said, I just want another thousand dollars, you know, mm -hmm. cause then we'll be a little more than half of what I think the repairs are going to cost. Yeah. And so just go ask them for another thousand dollars. And I said, I don't think we should ask for a thousand dollars it's mm. not enough we're not going to mm. walk away you know back to our earlier point about being able to you know communicating that you'll walk away from a deal mm -hmm. so i said we need to do at least three thousand so that's what we did i said let's instead of asking for one let's ask for three mm -hmm. we asked for three actually ended up getting getting the three so obviously you know that worked out really well but it, it's not believable if you say, well, I will proceed with this contract. If you just give me another 500 bucks, it's yeah. like, nobody's going to kill a deal over 500 bucks. Oh my gosh. So yeah. your counter offer always has to, you know, be, be believable. You're not just like asking for a little bit of additional money. It has to be something that could, could potentially be a deal killer or you're not going to get it. No, that was, it's so true. Um, you know, on the, Another note on the sell side that um, I've noticed because we um, we've run into this a few times is you have a seller that's selling an investment property um, and they have tenants living there. Um, and, you know, it's it 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 strikes me that when considering selling your property, you really leave money on the table if tenants are there Um and so there, and maybe the timing just doesn't work where you have to sell it with tenants there. It makes complete sense, but, you know, maybe consider some out of the box ideas, you know, maybe incentivizing the tenant saying, Hey, I would like maybe cut back on your rent a little bit. If you can keep this place clean, um, we're going to try to move this as quickly as possible. Um, you know, can you... Uh, you know, I, I don't know if that's always the best. Nobody likes to cut rent, but maybe there's some kind of incentive incentive with your tenants um, to help. You know, just encourage you to keeping it clean. Maybe it's um, just being available to show the prop, not them show the property, but available to like I'll get out of the way so the property showed. Because the quicker that you can get it under contract, the quicker you move through that process and I know it's hard tenants are they're sad they're moving away from them place they've probably been there for a few years um, but these things happen and so as a seller it's either that or to wait until the sellers out get it fully clean staged and you'll most likely make more money on the property than having um, just someone there yeah, waiting till the tenant is out, I think, is the ideal situation. That's ideal. I mean, yeah. you'll see people list a property and the tenant has still like six months left on the lease. Yeah. And I get it. They want to sell the property, but those properties almost never sell. They'll, they'll sit for months because think about your buyer pool. You know, your typical buyer cannot buy that property 
um, because if they're going to get a mortgage, the bank wants to know that they're going to take possession of the property within two months. Yep. And if that tenant has to be w- there within six months, that buyer would have to get an investment mortgage, which is one point higher, higher than an owner occupied yeah. mortgage. And so, and they also don't get to move in. So you're better off, you know, instead of just racking up months and months on market and maybe, you know, you might find an investor to do it, but it needs to be priced really, really well. So you're just by definition, leaving money on the table, wait Mm. until the tenant is out. Maybe if you really need the money badly, incentivize the tenant, you know, to move out. But I think that's, you know, that's a really tall order to ask somebody to move out. You know, you'd really have to pay him a lot of money. I think you're better off just collecting the rent, waiting until the lease is up and listing it vacant, staging it and getting it nice and clean. Also, the tenants oftentimes are in the property. Yeah. You know, they don't leave for showings and they don't approve showings. Oh, here's an anecdotal. (laughs) We we had this one uh, tenant... Uh, we were selling selling for the you know the owners the investors, and the the inspector for the buyer um, was going through, and the the one tenant was just in bed. Remember that? Yes. Just in bed under the covers. Under the covers. And the in, investor, <laughs> the, the inspector, was just like called us and was like, "Hey, do you mind like calling?" the tenants or whoever's in there and just ask them to get out of bed because <laughs> they were trying to like, anyway, I don't, I don't the, know. That's just the anecdotal. inspector was really freaked out. He was oh. like, and I was like, well, can't you just inspect the room and let the person sleep in the bed? And he was like, <laughs> he's like, look, man, it's really weird to inspect a room and someone's sleeping in there. Can you just ask him to leave? And I was like, fair enough. No, was, we'll ask him to leave. I was Oh, like the things that you just can't make this stuff up. It's it. Truth is always stranger than fiction. So, um, so true. you couldn't write that. I, it was just like some dude sleeping and, uh, you know, Hey, it's, it's just a, it's a challenge. Right. But, but those are things to think about because that kind of stuff happens. And like, like you said, Ryan, I mean, the best way to get the highest amount of money for a property you're selling is that it's vacant and like if you don't have tenants in there and they're able to stage it and really show the property off but it's hard to show it off if somebody's sleeping in the bed <laughs> that was a new one never seen new, that before that was, a, that was top and that you know that was a situation where initially we listed it the year before and we mm-hmm. said you know you've got a tenant in this property yeah. this is going to be really hard to sell but it was a duplex those were really hard to find we were hoping that you know that we would find an owner that would be willing to occupy one side right and so we listed it but ended up you know really not being able to sell it at the price they wanted we ended up pulling it off the market and then listing it six months later and boom got an offer right away yeah so um dude well, i think that's a good that's good do you want to say anything about how home prices right now are selling at 99% of list? Yeah, like you made a good note about that because we've seen different um, price points over the last four years. So, yeah. Um, I mean, they were selling at about 103%, what, four years ago? Right. Three years ago. Pri- you know, average price about, a, about 99% of list. I think one of the interesting things is to look at the distribution of of sales and the and the sales that occur within the first week mm-hmm. you know tend to get about 101 percent of list price on right. average and then if you sell after that first week it drops down to that 99 percent. so you know selling in that first week i think is super critical um and and that's what our whole marketing strategy is based around is okay we want to sell this in one week yeah. like every single time Obviously, it doesn't always happen, but that's, you know, sometimes our sellers just want to ask for a premium price, and so it's just not going to be possible. But we're going to do everything we can to sell it in that first week and really, you know, pack the the big marketing punch into that first week, which Mm -hmm. means, you know, we want to show that property to a huge number of people. Right. You know, if you look on Zillow, a lot of listings are getting six or 700 views in the first week. Mm. You know, we use social media. 
we can get 40 or 50,000 views on that property. It's a whole different dynamic, especially at the open house. Like one of the reasons we do open houses is because there are some buyers that don't have an agent, don't want to set up a showing. But also, you know, if we've just shown that property to 50,000 people in the last, you know, few days, and then we get a big open house turnout, Mm -hmm. it's a very different experience for a buyer, right? They're like, man, this is a zoo. This house must be really hot. And that can impact, you know, the offer that they make, especially if they, you know, you can see people that are really serious about a house in Mm -hmm. an open house, right? You can tell the people that aren't just like walking in and out. They've been there for 30, 45 minutes. Um, So I think that all, you know, just kind of dovetails together with like your overall strategy, you know, show it to a huge number of people in the first week, price it, you know, to move because a lot of times it will get pushed up a little bit. Um, and then, you know, I think for a seller, the worst thing in the world is to be, you know, on the market for a month, like, Mm. you know, back in 2008, five months on the market was pretty normal, but, but now people are used to selling their home almost immediately. You know, a lot of our, we sit down with a home seller and they're like, well, the last three houses that I've sold, sold in the first weekend, people are used to that. And so when you don't get that immediate sale, it is psychologically very damaging and you know you're just waiting for that next showing you're saying oh my gosh our house is not selling what's wrong with it um and you're just having to you know be on call all the time to keep it really clean and take the dogs out and whatever the case may be so um you know i think for most people if they price the property a little bit more attractively they're never gonna say you know and they get the offer right away and it's a good offer. It's under contract. No more showings. Mm-hmm. Boom, we're going to closing. I've never heard a seller say, you know what? I wonder if we could have gotten that extra $10,000. No. Nobody ever says that. What they say is, I am so glad this is over. And we get to go shopping for our next house. And we don't have to put up with any more showings. Exactly. Like that. And then, you know, you could always say, "How should I get another ten dollars or $20,000? But... Man, people don't think that way. Right. They're just happy to have it done. Yeah, that is so true. Well, that is, uh, that's good. That's really good. So, well, we appreciate you guys listening. I think we're going to wrap up for today, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll try to keep the podcast going. This will be on social media as well. And um, yeah, thanks for tuning in. Yeah, sounds good. Have a great week. All right.